Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Good to see you again. And by see you, it's a it's a podcast. I don't know why I started with that line. Maybe I'll edit it. Maybe I won't. Doesn't matter. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be here with you all today. My guest today, Dr. Brian McKeldery. He's a dope dude. I met him on Clubhouse. That's right. It's this new this new social media app. And normally when you talk about social media, you can be like, well, it's what all the kids are doing. And the kid, But I, there's not many kids on this app. It's really weird. There's a bunch of adults that got together and thought this was cool. And uh, we started our own dang trend. Kids aren't starting at this time. Gosh darn it. That also means I'm an adult. Well, this is uncomfortable. Let's get to the conversation, my friends. Let me tell you about Dr. Brian McKeldry. He is the owner, CEO, CFO, COO, C-everything-O of Shift Mentorship. Uh, He is an outrageous life coach. He helps CEOs uh, and other high-performing clients to be more, to get out of their own way. He also helps low-performing clients become high-performing clients, and he is an incredible man. He's got a background in pharmacy, and he is just a dope dude. As soon as I got to hear him speak on Clubhouse, I knew that we were going to be friends, and it's been really a joy to get to know him on that app, and this is the first time that I'm having a full-fledged conversation with him off of it, and he is an incredible man, and I'm excited for you all to meet him. Let's bring him out right now, Dr. Brian McKeldry. Let's go <laughs> my, man, my man how are you dude i'm doing wonderful man it is so uh it's so amazing to be on this platform with you man and, and to have this conversation with diner talks with james i love it i love it diner we're just talks. chopping it up right <laughs> that's all we're doing that's all we're doing another round of hash browns for the man oh um, man i need the waffles i need the waffles <laughs> <laughs> i love that bro that's where i usually like to start these conversations brian now here let's have let's have a quick moment of honesty up top do you prefer dr mckeldry dr brian brian i should ask you that in the pre-show questions but uh i want to make sure I'm doing this right up top. Oh man, I, I I would say if a person can become a friend and acquaintance, uh, somebody that I'm close to, I'm just like just call me Brian. Just Brian, now, okay. if I've got to get some little, little gotta step it up, man, we can call Dr. Brian there. So. <laughs> That's fair. I, it, it took me a while to earn that, so sometimes I just got to claim it, right? You definitely should. Uh, You definitely should. Uh, And especially in a society that's trying to hold people down sometimes. Um, So yeah, that's, uh, that's beautiful, brother. Well, so we're This is called Diner Talks with James. Now uh, you live in Dallas, Texas, great town, uh, D town. And, uh, and so, you know, in Dallas, do you have a, do you have a favorite late night move? Do you ever have a late night guilty pleasure? Is there, is there a, do do you have a a diner that you go to? I know, I know that you are, I know that you're vegan, so you're probably not hitting up Whataburger, which is open late. (laughs) Uh, It's probably not what you're doing, but is there, do you have a late night move that you, uh, a guilty pleasure food? Oh my goodness, man. First of all, let's, let's, get this straight. I, I've only been vegan for a year officially now. Oh, okay. Uh, so so <laughs> it, it, it hasn't been that long, but my guilty pleasure before, and some people might hurt me for this, but it was Waffle House growing up. Mm. Growing up, it was Waffle House. 
But yes. in Dallas, there's some diners. There's amazing diners. But uh, Waffle House was definitely the thing. But it's hard to find vegans. But there's a nice place called Shoals here in Dallas, Texas, that's vegan. It's like a Cubano spot. Really Ooh. good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Cuban food's outrageous. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, that's awesome. So Waffle House. Waffle House is iconic. <sighs> now, I, I went to school in the South, you know, in North and South Carolina. And so that's that's when I really started to learn about Waffle House and appreciate it as the uh, religious institution that it is. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what is your Waffle House move? Like, I'm, a, I'm an all-star breakfast kind of guy. But oh, yeah. Know you can't go wrong with the all-star breakfast, man. <laughs> you walk in there and it's like, you know what I need. <laughs> you already know. What's you the rest know. of this menu? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I've got to go with the all-star, man. Exactly. How do you how do you do your hash browns, man? This is this is the this is where the debate Oh, I'm like smothered covered. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I, I just mm-hmm. gotta do them just plain. Just give me the waffle with good hash browns, some over medium eggs. Okay. Okay. Over medium. Over I don't like medium. it too runny. That's it. Yep. I don't like it too runny, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I like it. <laughs> That's amazing. <clears throat> I love that. Now, are you, when you have a plate of food with that, with so many options in front of you, uh, are you uh, someone who mashes it all together or do you eat one thing at a time? Ooh, it's all separate, man. I'm really big about the texture. I'm really big it's about like the texture. It's like I insulted you with that question. Yeah, like, oh. yeah, I'm really big about the texture here. Um, yeah, I actually had a situation really quick. In uh, There's a snooze uh, breakfast diner here in Dallas I go to every Sunday mm-hmm. um, after church. And uh, I had to send the food back a couple of times because it was touching. And I'm usually not like that, but I'm like, I, I said to separate it. And they're like, nah, nah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You got to get what you ordered. You got to get exactly, you exactly. Also, shout out to Snooze. Snooze is banging. I've been to one. Oh yeah, in, in Colorado, it's a great product. Oh yeah, love it, love it. Good <laughs> vibes, good energy, good food, and they have some vegan options there. So I've been satisfied. That's all. This is a good time to bring in our sponsor, Snooze. Uh, go there. I'm just kidding. We don't have any sponsors. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that, man. Now, you went to school in Atlanta. You went to, to Morehouse, uh, famed HBCU. Uh, and now, is it true that Morehouse does not have the best homecoming? Is that true? Ah, I beg to differ. <laughs> we might be on opposite spectrums there. That uh, now I might have some Howard people and uh, Hampton people that might argue or beg to differ, but and other HBCUs as well. But yeah, I would say we're at the top of the list. If you haven't been, I yeah, we've been kind of heard on that since uh, this uh, illness has come across us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Would you would you typically go back for homecoming? Yeah, I think as I got further removed, I've started to uh, pick and choose my homecomings to go back to. Because when you get further removed, you're like, man, who are these people? Like, my people aren't here. (laughs) You know, you start to feel like an old head for a second. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I love that, man. Now, uh, you went to an HBCU. Now, where are you originally from, Brian? I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Born and raised, same household. Okay. Um, go back home, same home, home that was brought home from the hospital in. Yeah. Yeah. Bur- Birmingham, great town, uh, important yeah. town, uh, outrageous food in the city of Birmingham mm-hmm. as well. As you could tell, uh, you know, I do a lot of traveling with the speaking that I do, and a lot of it is food centric. You know, that's if we're going to experience culture, that's where you do it. So exactly. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm focused on it, <clears throat> but uh, but still, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. Now, now you decided to go to an HBCU. Tell me about that decision. Was that something you'd always wanted to do to go to an HBCU or did you look at some PWIs as well and decided mm-hmm. HBCU is right for you? How'd you choose yeah. it? 
Great question. Uh, no, it was not to answer your question. And for people who are listening, they're like, wow, that's a, if you know, you know, if you don't, I'd say, just look it up. I always tell people, but no, I, I wanted to, I played sports growing up and I wanted to play football for Bobby Bowden at, at Florida state mm-hmm. when Florida state was at the height of its career. So I was a big football person, uh, obviously being from the South and Alabama and that's who I was, you know, I was watching work Dunn's the Deion Sanders, uh, yeah. you know, Warren Saps, and I was like, man, I want to be a part of Bobby Bowden's team. And uh, I was looking at all the PWIs um, because I thought that was the, the route to go. And I didn't think I didn't see the value in HBCUs at that time, even though my parents both went to HBCUs. But uh, there was a pivotal point that shifted my whole whole decision. Yeah. What was it that what was it that, that flipped the switch for you? Yeah. My mom went to Spelman and my grandfather actually went to Morehouse. So I had no, yeah, yeah. I had lineage there. My dad went to Alabama A&M in in Huntsville. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had a lineage of going HBCUs, but uh, it was a trip. I'd went to homecomings before at Morehouse and Spelman, uh, but it was a trip that I went to and I got a tour by a student. And that tour just changed my whole historical perspective of being around you know, just black excellence and the diversity um, and understanding that, you know, that was a place for me to really cultivate me as a as an African-American man, um, but a man in general. Um, so that's what said, oh, wow, there's more opportunity here than I thought. And it was all my perception and, and what I thought was, quote unquote, better. Mm-hmm. And then once once I stopped growing in football, my, my dreams and hopes just went out the water. For that. <laughs> yeah that's fair uh that's fair i love that story man here's here's a fun fact i went to clemson uh back when the bowden bowl was a thing yeah Uh, so that's it so i I know i know the bobby bowden days that was that was when it was that was that was when it was tough to be a clemson fan right i mean (sighs) we stuck it out because it was the right thing to do and uh we've we've been rewarded for our patience oh yes Uh, oh yes uh, i'll give alabama trouble every single year so (laughs) happily happily uh So uh, that's a, that's awesome, man. And I love that you have the lineage uh, that 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 your grandfather went to Morehouse. It's incredible. Your mom went to Spelman. Uh, that's beautiful. Dad went to Alabama A and M. The the HBCU experience again, historically black college and university for those of you playing at home, um, is uh, is is one that is 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 so such a powerful experience and i love the way that you put it now i'm curious man this is uh, maybe we're diving a little bit too deep too quick but I, i'm excited to i'm excited to hear your answer on this yeah when did you fall in love with your blackness oh great question um and I've, i don't think i've ever told this story before but um grew up in a historical you know city obviously mm-hmm. in birmingham uh parents uh, very proud um but there was a time when in the suburbs of Birmingham, I was removed from the inner city. My parents raised us in the suburbs in Pelham, Alabama, about 30 minutes south. Um, for me, growing up, I was one of the only, right, growing up uh, in the suburbs. And I remember there was this one instance where I think I was about six or seven years old. And man, like it, the story just popped back into my head. I never told this that one of my good friends had asked me like, why is your skin color brown? And I remember on the spot, like my parents, like they raised me in, in the black church. Like they did all the work to tell me who I was as a black man growing up. But I just didn't know how to answer that question at that age. Right. So I said, Oh, like I, I accidentally poured paint on my skin. 
And for anyone listening right now, you're like, what? Right. And that wasn't the pivotal point, but that's a, a story that came up to me. But I remember that when I became very proud of my blackness, it never was removed from me. It never went away. But I remember going into high school and that was when kind of this shift happened because my friend group began changing. I began getting more involved in the inner city and getting more involved in organizations such as Jack and Jill and, um, you know, just the church and things of that sort. And then really the point was when I went to Morehouse, that was, that was a shock to me because now I wasn't the only one anymore. So that was when things started to really shift uh, for me, but yeah, kind of three pivotal points. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. What, what, I mean, when you think back on that time mm -hmm. where you know, the story that you told where I, I poured, oh, I poured paint on myself. Like what, what goes through your head as you tell that story again? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, shame, uh, confusion, mm, yeah. um, just this understanding of like what, at that age, what blackness actually means. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I knew my parents had taught me well, but I didn't know how to answer that question that moment because those people around me were my friends, yeah. right? Like I had a very diverse friend group. So that that was really the, the thought that comes back up now is like, wow, growth, but also shame, confusion, um, worthless in a sense, yeah. uh, all those words, yeah. Yeah, brother, I appreciate you sharing that that story with us, man, and and uh, and the emotions around it too, and I also love uh, that you threw the word growth in there. Right? Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Yeah, and to see to, to from that moment to to where you are today, the the growth is obviously evident. And while you were at Morehouse, <laughs> you joined a uh, a pretty good fraternity, um, an Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, Incorporated, uh, the original Divine Nine, uh, and uh, and so. I'm wondering, did that have anything to do with it? Was that was that another step into it, or or why did you join? Why did you choose to join such a prestigious organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So entering into Morehouse, um, it's not like a PWI, predominantly white institution. If you know anyone listening, wondering what that is, um, it wasn't like that. Our Morehouse obviously was already a fraternity in of itself, right? Mm -hmm. So going into that, I've already felt like I had a brotherhood. And my dad was an alpha or still is, um, had other alphas in my family, cousins and things of that sort. But I remember I asked my dad before because I saw uh, some Nelia, you know, hanging out when I was younger. I was like, Dad, what's all that about? He was like, you'll find out later. You have to find out on your own. And I appreciate him for that because mm -hmm. going on campus, I had some friends and, you know, connections and things from my mom and my grandfather. And they knew who I was, per se. But. I respected them for never treating me any different that you're going to have to get this on your own. And what I did is I observed the brothers on campus and I said, okay, um, who do I resonate most with? Because I don't, I don't know any other way. I just knew that my dad told me you're going to have to figure this out on your own. And I saw how the brothers were really serving and kind of their, their deference, um, the way they carried themselves, their leadership roles, like what leadership positions they were on on campus. Mm -hmm. And um, that was when I chose like, wow, this is, this is who I want to be a part of. And I want to have that along with my Morehouse Brotherhood. And, um, you know, they're, they're 
one and the same, quote unquote, but they're separate. And there's there's more of, um, you know, a brotherhood in, in each respect there. But that's how I chose is is I really had to find out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that your dad was like, you'll, you'll find out when you're older. Like he could have easily told you what it was about because like, we know, yeah. especially like I think about myself from a young age, I was I was a Yankees fan from birth, right? Like I was told <laughs> I would be a Yankees fan and I'm not equating fandom with fraternity, but you know what I'm saying? But there's, of course. there's times where their family, you know, family tells you early, no, this is how it's going to be. Um, mm. And you were like, you have no choice. And it's your choice to either rebel or or uh or or conform and yeah. uh, i guess i guess that makes me a conformist anyway um <laughs> let's unpack that later uh, but but still the uh but yeah but like he could have very easily like put you mm-hmm. in uh future alpha onesies or you know whatever uh, and so i think that's i think that's kind of cool that he was like you're going to learn if you want to learn. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful. And it's yeah. also cool because, I mean, you said Morehouse is already kind of a brotherhood. Yep. FIA, another brotherhood. But then mm-hmm. you also were on, you also played sports. You played golf in college. Yet another, yeah. uh, yet another uh, a team, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's kind of cool to, to see the way the team has played a little bit of role in your life and, and, and how you gravitate towards it. But you played yeah. golf at Morehouse, which is, which is awesome. Uh, tell me about that experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had, I love that you referenced that because I really had four teams. Um, I had my fraternity. I had my Morehouse Brotherhood. Um, I had my science brotherhood. Uh, like I was, I, I was stuck in the sciences mm-hmm. and people that are, you know, STEM majors or STEM backgrounds, there were parties going on on campus and I was stuck in the lab till 6 p.m., right? So that was, that became a brotherhood. So I would, I would add that on to it. But um, when I said my, my sports career was done growing up, um, you know, I played football and baseball. Those were my kind of two main sports. And my dad got into golf from his corporate arena. Um, and he began taking my brother and I out to the course uh, at, for me, 10. So that was, you know, just before middle school time. I was on the middle school golf team. I played all the sports, but I had to make a decision going into high school. I made that decision and I said, okay, um, I have to choose one. So I played football and golf. I broke my collarbone uh, in football. Oh, no. Sophomore year, I was a starting running back. So I got that and another sign from a higher power that I only have golf left and I've got to take it seriously. That's when I began getting exposure to, you know, D1, D2, D3 schools for golf scholarships. Mm-hmm. So um, Morehouse ended up being one of them. And after I went on that tour, we talked to the athletic director and uh, he got us in contact with the golf coach. Golf coach saw some of my school and, you know, came to a tournament here, or there. And um, from there, I was offered a partial scholarship to Morehouse. And if you know how much Morehouse is, that could have been a full scholarship otherwise, right? <laughs> right so right. Um, that's how I got into Morehouse on a golf scholarship. And, um, from there it was, it was absolutely amazing because I was able to really, really hone in on that brotherhood. And that was the first time I'd got, um, acclimated with other black golfers. Like our whole team was African-American golfers. And I was like, wow, like this is, (laughs) you know, I had known others in the Birmingham area and I knew we were out there, but to see us at that level compete, it was, it was a beautiful thing. And and that's where I knew I'd made the right decision um, for my personal growth to see what was out there and to do the things that we did. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's badass. That, that's, that's what that <laughs> is. It is. It is because, right. I mean, I, I played, I played high school golf uh, and was not good enough to, to play on my college team and learn that very, very quickly. <laughs> uh, down, down South golf's just, it's a different game. Y'all can, y'all can play all year round, right? Like yeah. Back, yeah. back in New York, we had about, about six, seven months of playing. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And, and, and also I just didn't put the effort in to be as good as, as those players were. And yeah. so, let me, let me own that real quick. But, you know, I mean, if you saw, I mean, if you saw 12 black golfers on my high school golf course, you'd think it was a movement, right? You're like, this, this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what it is. And so you're like, oh, shoot, what's happening? Um, yeah. did, I, did I miss the memo? And, and you can't help where you grew up, right? My town was, my hometown was incredibly white. And, and you know, I, I can't help where my parents chose to raise me. They raised me in a very good town. Um, yeah. It was a, a town that kept my, my eyes closed to a lot of the world. Um, but I was fortunately raised with parents with their eyes open. And, but still, uh, that's just what it was like uh, on the golf course. I mean, golf, mm-hmm. golf notoriously has been a sport of exclusion. Right? Mm. And with, with memberships, with, I mean, obviously the whole Augusta saga, and there's still to this day, you know, on Long Island, there's Garden City Men's Club, and women yeah. aren't even, women are allowed to drop their husbands off at the course. They can't even <laughs> come in for dinner, right? There's a bunch of courses like that. I think Seminole is like that. There's a course, I know a couple of courses out in Cali that are like that. And so, yep. and then there are also, uh, there, there, were, there are, especially, you know, out east in the Hamptons, as mentioned, grew up on Long Island, you know, you have Shinnecock and you have National yep. Golf Links of America, and none of them would allow, back in the day, none of them would allow Jewish members. And so Maidstone uh, was built. Uh, no, it's not mm. the Maidstone, the Atlantic was built, and that was a Jewish club, and that was only mm. Jewish members, right, just because of the exclusionary nature of golf. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to race yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And so uh, golf by, by, by nature is classist. Um, and so it is, it's, it's, it's awesome just to paint that picture for everybody to think about your team mm. showing up and kicking some ass uh, yep. looking the way you looked. Right. <laughs> and exactly. uh, it's beautiful. And, and so I guess, my question for you is, do you think golf is is coming around? You know, obviously, mm-hmm. a Tiger Woods did a lot for the sport, uh, and mm-hmm. that's huge. There were, But there were plenty more uh, black golfers before him that played professionally. Jim Dent is a name that comes to mind. And there have been black golf, uh, golfers that have obviously come after him as well. Uh, yeah. And so and I know someone that you and I both really like, Willie Mack. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, but, but obviously, he, there are many others. Uh, but still – you know, if you were to look at the lineup, if you were looking mm. at the lineup, it looks like, you know, these all these white people got a few black friends. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> so yep. I'd be curious to hear what what are your thoughts on that? Or maybe if you want to start by sharing us a little bit of your experience um, as a black golfer yeah. um, and then and then a little bit of do you think the sport is coming around? Wow. This I'm, I'm so glad that we're going this direction because I've never done a podcast where someone's asked me this and it, it you know, we're more than our titles. And I'm so glad that you're asking this, James. Um, yeah, so, yeah. We'll get to coaching, whatever. Yeah. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll get to that. We can read about that. Uh, but uh, I, I will never forget, you know, I grew up as one of the only black golfers kind of on a certain level, I should say in Birmingham um, and in Alabama. I mean, I'm doing, you know, I'm only black golfer on my middle school team, um, only black golfer on my high school team. And I was number one. Right. So I'm playing the lead, 
you know, captain position. And I'm going to these kind of rural areas of Birmingham and, you know, this, you know, outskirts of Alabama. And even though there wasn't any uh, kind of direct racism necessarily, like you, you know, you can, you can read the signs uh, um, a lot of times when you show up. And I was very well aware of that because my dad always had conversations like, go be you, go show them. And, you know, you will get the respect. And I'll never forget, uh, there was this one instance when I was, you know, playing in a championship. Uh, I was playing at Shoal Creek. If anyone knows what Shoal Creek is, it is a prestigious club, kind of the Augusta, um, same, I think the same uh, developers as Augusta. Hmm. And it's in Birmingham. I remember playing a tournament there. And I remember showing up. Tiger Woods actually was not allowed to play at Augusta in the early 90s, excuse me, at Shoal Creek in the early 90s. Um, Condoleezza Rice is a member. I remember going there, showing up for the tournament. My name was on the list. I get dropped off um, because my dad or my parents weren't just able to, you know, it was the middle of the week. Um, I check in and someone asked me, are you lost, son? And I'll never forget that because, you know, all the other players, I was playing in a junior circuit. They know who I, they knew who I was. You know, I was one of the top golfers in that circuit. Right. And I remember showing up and I guess it was a member or somebody. And I said, no, I'm here for the tournament. And they said, oh, um, well, you know, good luck to you. <laughs> and, and it was it sounded just like that. <laughs> and I, I knew exactly what it was. Um, but that was not the only instance. I remember at that tournament turning in my scorecard and, you know, I think I'd shot like 72 or 73 and I'd gotten picked Flexed up again. On them. Yeah, you know, you know, I was in I was in the top five. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I leave the tournament and we can check our scores on the leaderboard for the next day um, at home. So I remember going on the website with my dad and my mom. And, you know, I said, hey, I shot 73 today. He's like, OK, go out there, play well tomorrow. And I look at the score and it says 74. So. <laughs> If no one knows anything about golf, you've got to trade scorecard with your competitor that you're playing with to check each other's scores. So the only thing that I could think of is that the person I was playing with erased my score. And if you're if you claim and you sign a scorecard lower than what you proclaim, you're disqualified. So I remember I was disqualified from that tournament. So that was the first kind of really raw, real realization that happened twice at the same tournament that, wow, no one wants me here. Mm. Right. Um, so that was my experience that I vividly remember around that. Uh, but it never let, you know, that, that never stopped me necessarily. But um, to your question about history in, in the African-American golfer space, uh, Joe Lewis, the boxer was very pivotal in the thirties. Um, Lee Elder, Charlie Sifford, um, Calvin Pete, like these are these are pivotal entities in the black community that people only see Tiger Woods until there's more documentaries that have come out that have paved the way for myself. Um, you know, even Willie Mack, like we played tournaments together, um, you know, growing up, like we all know each other in some capacity and we're rooting mm -hmm. for each other. So it's just to me and, and I'll wrap it up here for you, James, to answer this question to me. What I see the differential is, number one, the financial piece, the financial backing. When you're fighting and playing for your next meal, it's different. 
it's yeah. different than than going out there and having a huge backing by a country club and having a huge backing by your dad and your mom's you know corporate employees that say hey you know you know I'll give your son you know a couple grand here 10 grand for the year whatever and just tell him to go shoot a shot it's different so that's why you see a lot of black golfers have a lot of talent but they don't get the exposure so when they're giving the exemptions to these top tournaments difficult because the more reps you have in, as you know, the more confident you get, the more comfortable you get out on tour. It's not that they don't have the game, right? Right. It's it's the exposure to that. So that's what we're trying to change in the game, um, especially through brands that are coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. My Morehouse brothers, my teammates, Eastside Golf, shout out to them, uh, doing amazing stuff, just trying to gain exposure that there are top tiered players um, in the African-American community that are need both men and women. Right, the need that exposure, the need to be seen. Yeah, yeah, that, that's beautifully put. And yeah, shout out to Eastside Golf for sure. Their stuff is uh, is fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for sharing that story because you know that is growing up where I grew up on Long Island. That is something I never had to think about, right? And that's what privilege is. Privilege is the ability to never have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so and and that was that was not my world. And I. Thinking back to all the tournaments that I played in in high school, I don't I don't know if I saw more than maybe one black golfer, uh, mm-hmm. and it is it is it is powerful to hear that story, uh, the, the the disappointment at shows yeah. for sure, yeah, and I think golf is is working on it. Right. I think I think they're starting to see it. I think a a lot of big brands this year in particular are starting, uh, whether whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, they're at least they're at least coming around the mountain slowly but surely. And Mm -hmm. and so is it going to is does that mean everything's good and we're done? Absolutely not. so much more work to do. Um, and, and, uh, there is work fortunately being done. And yeah, I love, I love the, the rise of the, the Eastside golf uh, company and, and, and others. I just feel like uh, golf apparel is changing. Um, mm-hmm. and it is, uh, it, it, just the, the look of the game is, is trying to make it a little bit more accessible and it's still got, a, it's still got a ways to go. But uh, but I I feel that a shift is trying to be made. People are starting to speak up, uh, but sure. there's just so many. Uh, it's just such an old boys club, literally, <laughs> uh, right? Like literally, the game yeah. is an old yeah. boys club, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and so uh, like like most things with racism, it will be generational change um, as mm. opposed to you know this this year change. Um, but uh, but yeah, <clears throat> but it's work work worth doing. So thanks for letting me pick your brain about that, man. Of course, man. I enjoy it. <laughs> so here's what I love. You also mentioned before, let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned that you were a, a chemistry major. Um, so, you know, shout out, shout out to my benzene rings out here. Uh, and let's um, dimethyl bicarbonate uh, to, anyway, um, <laughs> it's a, uh, it, was, uh, it was a chemistry minor. Um, but uh, so uh, organic chemistry can take a walk um yeah that's usually the one that gets everybody it starts to weed out people yeah. i got got um so uh, uh see the minor um but uh but still i was a, i was a marine biology major i don't know if you knew that so mm. I, 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 but a bit of science bit of science nerd in me that. as well 
I currently use my degree to impress dates at aquariums. Uh, that's how <laughs> that's working out for me. <laughs> but, uh, but I love it. You were a chemistry major, and then you went to pharmacy school. You got your doctor of pharmacy out in St. Louis, yeah. and uh, that's extremely impressive. Pharmacy schools few and far between, so hard to get into. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you wanted to be a pharmacist. Now, here's something kind of random about me. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know how you would, but uh, I always have this analogy of uh, that I like to tell people in some of my speeches is that I feel like a pharmacist because I'm always the one that's passing out the drugs. No, you need to practice self-care. No, you got to take care. No, you got to believe in yourself. You're attractive. No, you got it. You're the best. Keep going, whatever. But then I don't take the drugs myself, right? No, I'm the drug uh-huh. I don't take the drugs. And so the fact that you're a pharmacist is ironic to me. But the uh, and we'll, we'll come back to a little bit of that in a minute. But I'm curious why pharmacy and, uh, and, and when you originally thought about being a pharmacist, why, why, yeah, why was that the dream? First of all, <laughs> how you led that question in, <laughs> I hope anyone <laughs> listening right now, you're acknowledging that. <laughs> Because I, I felt that. I felt that for sure. Um, we, we all do that in some respects, right? Like all of us have all the answers, but we look back and we, what do they say, James? You're pointing one finger, you got what, four, three pointing back at you, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so how, how I got into that, it started with uh, family as always, typically that a lot of our decisions happen. Um, I remember that my parents asked me this pivotal question uh, growing up and they said, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. It's to me, it's the question that rocks the youth, right? It rocks yeah. the youth because you have no idea. And it's supposed to be this life-changing question when you really have no space or time to really think about what that means to you. And they asked me and I remember sitting down and I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And they just started rambling off different options that were success, right? Because they only knew what success looked like, which was to be a businessman or woman, to be a, a lawyer, to be a doctor. Um, and that's what success was. Even though my mom was an entrepreneur in her own right, she necessarily didn't want that for me. And she told me later down the road that ah, it's ironic that you ended up this way. Uh, but I remember them asking me that and I said, okay, well, what do I like in school? I guess I like science projects and you know, science is cool. Um, you know, biology and all that kind of stuff. You're making the so, volcanoes at the science fair. Yeah, yeah, all that, all that stuff. Um, gosh, uh, so I, I do remember that. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Start, and, you know, clarified that and identified that after my hopes and dreams of football kind of went out the water. Um, so <laughs> um, I identified that in middle school and I went into high school knowing I wanted to be a doctor. Um more on the physician side. Sophomore year in high school, I went to a summer camp up at Georgetown University, uh, introductory into kind of being a physician. I saw blood for the first time. I'm going to pause you really quick, man. Yes. Georgetown killed my bracket. Okay. I'm unhappy with Georgetown. (laughs) They killed my bracket. What about ORU? I'm I'm just- Oral Roberts. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about all. Oral Roberts is fine. That's a one, and that's a fluke. You okay, couldn't predict okay. that. But okay. listen, I'm a diehard Knicks fan, man. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm like Patrick Ewing. He can't go wrong. There's no way they're not going further, and they'll be back. But I'm just saying, Georgetown. Right now, right now, I got a little beef with Georgetown. But okay. anyway, I'm sorry. That's that was okay. a, that was a, that was a selfish aside. But I just didn't okay. get it. I needed to talk to somebody about it. That's okay. He had to vent for a second. Everyone exactly. listening, he had to vent for a second. Exactly. And um, this is going to come out. This will come out while the while the tourney's still going so exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. 
All right, oh, keep going, goodness. brother. Keep going, man. So you, yeah. went, you went to science camp up in Georgetown. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Saw sure. blood for the first time. Um, that That's when, and they start talking about numbers and, and time spans, and I'm like, one, two, 40. No, nah, I'm not going to be 40-something years old. Like, just, no, nah, <laughs> no, I need to live now. So I went back to the drawing board, and I, I remember going to my local pharmacist with my grandmother. And, you know, she took me there. My mom went there. We, we kind of knew the pharmacist, and... Uh, you know, it seemed like they had a lot of autonomy. So um, we began talking to the pharmacist about different ways of, you know, how he you know, got to where he was. Uh, I got some mentors before going into Morehouse and I said, OK, well, I'm going to be a pharmacist. And what does a pharmacist do? They become a chemistry major. And I found out later you don't have to do that. <laughs> so I just put myself <laughs> through torture. Um, but <laughs> um, but. I, I started in, I started very early for me because I got a uh, pharmacy tech job at the local um, pharmacy around the corner from Morehouse. If you know where Morehouse is, not in the best neighborhood. So I was actually on World Star Hip Hop in the background um, in the pharmacy as someone was going off in the pharmacy as oh, a pharmacy no. tech. Oh, <laughs> I think they want to show up on World Star. Yeah, I think that video is kind of hidden somewhere in the archives. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's where my pharmacy uh, quote unquote career started. Uh, long story short, matriculated through Morehouse, um, became kind of the only pharmacist person on campus. Started a pharmacy organization uh, at Morehouse uh, for you know people of interest of pharmacy to kind of come through and understand the process because Morehouse was more of a PhD and MD. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, vessel and, and catalyst. But that, that was how I got into pharmacy school, had mentors, um, went straight through and um, went to St. Louis. I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I'd never been to St. Louis in my life, but they gave me some money. So I was going. You were going. Yeah. 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 Important question. Did you eat at Pappy's when you were in St. Louis? Ooh. I did once. Sugar fire? Did you go to sugar fire? Did you, did you have a, did you have a, because you weren't vegan back then. No. Did you have a, did you have a rib spot? Did you go for barbecue ever? I went to sugar fire. I okay. went to sugar fire and I would say that over, and some people might say otherwise, but Pappy's was good, but sugar mm. fire, I don't know what it was about it, but you know, I'm coming from Birmingham, Alabama and we got the, right. we got the white sauce in Birmingham. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone knows about the white sauce, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, that was uh, yeah, that was the only time I ordered. I ordered something in Alabama. You get it. Uh, what's it? Roll Tide style. And they give you the white and the red. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's the only time I said Roll Tide in public, not in a mocking way. Um, <laughs> I love it. Okay, now that we got the important conversation out of the way, uh, here's here's what I love is that you went to pharmacy school. You got your PharmD. You are Doctor mm-hmm. Brian McKeldry, and you said, "Hey, thanks so much for the doctorate." not using it. Um, yeah, and you, yeah. you immediately took a left and kind yeah. of started and started a company uh, around, around holistic living and whatnot. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I entered pharmacy school in 2012, the fall of 2012. Um, in 2014, family started having issues health-wise. This was my second year in pharmacy school. So I'm in St. Louis there in Birmingham. I said, okay, how can I help them and I didn't feel like I could help them with their medications at that time, other than to give them advice because, you know, they're calling all day about what that thing is because I'm in the school. Right. Um, but I said, hey, 
let's try some other alternatives. And I began doing research around holistic living and holistic health and alternative ways uh, of healing because in our pharmacy school notes, there was a prevention section, there was a treatment section, and there was a maintenance section. Mm. And I, my mind was just blown that we were just going over the prevention so quickly. Like, I don't know why psychologically, I was just like, I can't ask the question to the professor because we're here look, trying to be the drug expert. And they're gonna be like, no, like we're, we're, we're gonna address it, but we're not gonna focus on it. So I began doing my own research and studies around prevention. And that's when I begin having this aha moment that this is the answer for people. Uh, mental well-being, um, exercise, functional nutrition, um, all those different things because we were treating chronic illness more so than ever, not, not acute illnesses. Chronic illnesses can be prevented. So that's when my, my start happened, um, second year of pharmacy school, and I started my business in Vision Health, and it was a little small little thing. I didn't know what I was doing, yeah. but my grandmother became ill, um, dementia, early onset Alzheimer's, my mm -hmm. third going into fourth year of pharmacy school. And fast forward to answer your question, James, uh, two days before my pharmacy school graduation, she passed away. Mm -hmm. That was ironic because it was also a blessing because of another sign that, wow, she was mismanaged with medications. Everything that I was studying through my pharmacy school matriculation was around prevention. I've got to, I've got to do this. If no one else is going to do it, I've got to do it. So that summer graduated. Um, I had a picture coming across the stage, kissing up to the sky. And I remember walking across the stage and I said, something's got to change that summer. I was focused on all things, health, wellness, coaching, um, and I found out coaching. And that's where, you know, I began um, going into the fall after I had gotten my six-figure offer to come down to the Dallas, Texas, um, alongside a woman. <laughs> and uh, that's how I ended up in Dallas. Um, confused, uh, torn, um, didn't know which way to go, but I knew something was pulling me outside of the, the official practice of pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah. What a fascinating, what a fascinating series of events, right? Mm -hmm. that, that when you get into pharmacy school, that the you have this the, a family health crisis, and uh, and now, literally two days before you cross the stage, you lose uh, a matriarch of of the mm -hmm. family. That's that's hard in itself, and we could go down that rabbit hole. Uh, quickly uh not that, not that it would be served <clears throat> not that it'd be a wrong thing to do but I'm, it's fascinating to think about how and you hear a lot this you hear a lot about this especially with health in the united states and i'm a victim mm -hmm. of this as well is that everything is reactionary yep Right. It's very, I mean, more, more medicines are prescribed. We have all those awkward medicine commercials <laughs> online where I'm like, what, what is, why are you riding bikes and talking about this? And I'm like, what exactly is happening? I've understood maybe 30% of the words in this commercial and 0% yeah. of how it's all connected. Right. And so, but in a country that is so focused on being reactive, which is mm. interesting, is very true in a lot of other areas, I think we could also say that as well, right? As we, we can, we can talk about racism. We can talk about sexism. We can really any ism very reactive um, exactly. to it as opposed to, as opposed to proactive. Um, 
the fact that you decided, hey, I just got a degree in a reactive science. <laughs> I want. I'd, That's I'd, a great I want to put it. I want to. I want to focus on being proactive, mm. right? And so, so you decide to start this this company, and uh, which is incredible, but. In that moment, I mean, yes, it felt right, but that also had to be scary because you just, I mean, now you got all this, I mean, mm. I, you said you maybe got some money um, over at your St. Louis, but still, it's still farm school, right? It's still very expensive. Yeah. And so there's debts to be paid and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like at that moment, were you kind of shaking in your boots a little bit? I mean, shaking with excitement, <laughs> but also shaking with, holy crap, can I do this? Yeah, yeah, I, I was um, because everyone, I had no support in my corner. And the only person that I can remember, and I'm talking about true support. I'm talking about people that really saw what I saw, right? You know, you have your friends that will support you and say, this looks great. This looks great. But they don't take you seriously. Mm -hmm. And I remember the only person that did was my brother. Mm. Like he was the only person that said, Brian, I see this. Like like I'm with you. Whatever you need, rocking the the apparel that you're trying to come out with, you know, I'll, I'll take your plans. Um, you know, the clients that I did have, they were getting results. So for a very, probably I can count them on one hand. Um, but I, I relied on that, but also there was this, there was this higher power. Like, I don't know if it was my grandmother, like touching me or something. And, yeah. you know, for anyone spiritual, like, you know, that there's, there's just some type of feeling that someone is looking over you. And I just relied on that faith that I was going in the right direction, but that didn't, that didn't allow me to not get hit with the hard knocks of life because it's going to happen. But I, I knew that figuring it and continuing going, that it was going to uh, come out on the other end with people being served. That's where I kept my attention is the people one at a time that needed what I was trying to say. Um, so that's what kept me going. But yeah, the loans didn't stop. Um, but I will say the deferments and the, uh, <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, people know the, the things, you know, that right. can come about, but, um, you know, yeah, it, it worked out all for the good. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. And then you made this transition to coaching. Um, and I want to talk to you about coaching now, but before we do that, Brian, we have a segment on this show that I'm going to spring on you right now. And the segment mm. of the show is things you didn't know about me before, but are now grateful that you do now. Here's an interesting thing about this segment, Brian, is that the the premise never changes, but the title always changes. And so one day I'll write it down and remember it. But until then, this has been fun. And so uh, I'm wondering, are you willing to play, Brian? Here's how it would work. Let me tell you about it before I just chuck you into it. But you and I are going to share two random facts about ourselves, a random story, a random fact, completely unrelated to what we are talking about today. Um, And just, just to break things up, lighten it up real quick. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do it. I love it. I'll go first because I don't want to just put that on you because I just told you about it. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be rude of me. And I'll give you some time to think. Um, so here we go. Let's go. Here is uh, things you wish you knew about me before, but are now grateful that you do. Uh, again, name changes every time. So, Brian, here's a fun fact about me. We're talking about sports, and you're talking about the sports that you played when you grew up. My parents wouldn't let me play football because I have really bad knees, um, and so so I could never I could never play football. Though I think I would have been a great tight end. I got great hands. I don't know how to throw these shoulders around, um, but still. Uh, <laughs> So for me, my sports growing up were I played golf as well, as you heard, and but I also played basketball. 
And so uh, here's some, two random facts about me in sport of basketball. The first one is, is that I won a free throw shooting competition um, in, uh, for my county uh, around the age of like, I think I was like maybe 12. Uh, so that's a run. That's a random boy, boy, crisp from the line. Okay. Three bounces. And then in, that's how we did it. You got your rhythm down. Anyway. anyway. Um, and the last thing I'll <laughs> the other fact that I'll share about basketball, and then I'll throw one to you and see what you got for me is that uh, in college, when I used to play basketball with my friends, just pick up game at the, at the rec center. Uh, they used to say that I was the offensive rebound champion. Now here's what you need to know. <laughs> is that I wasn't getting other people's boards. I was just that bad at layups and I would just keep getting my own rebounds, throwing my weight around because I got so frustrated and I just, I really just, I padded the stats for myself. It was, it was both sad and effective. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Telling childhood stories here. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> So um, just for anyone, you know, one question James did ask me pre, you know, pre-recording, he was like, Brian, is there anything like interesting about you outside of just what you do? And I claimed that I was, I was fairly clumsy. So I, I, as responsible as I am and as structured as people think and organized as I am, only three things ever that I've not lost, which is my phone, my wallet, and my keys. I have gone and lost one golf shoe on a trip before. I show up to the golf tournament and uh, I show up with one golf shoe. Um, I remember in college, I was rolling my suitcase to go home to Birmingham, Alabama, roll my suitcase to the car, my jacket, my coat is freezing cold. It's on my, my bag. Get to the car, get all the way home. I'm like, where's my coat? I know I put it on. Coat rolls off the bag. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like I've just lost things like random things, cups, all kind of stuff. But uh, a more interesting one in high school, I'll never forget that, you know, this is why I had to this. Everything happens for a reason. I write so many things. I keep things in my calendar for a reason. Everyone remembers in high school when you have a uh, a week to where they're, I think it's homecoming week where you dress up a certain day on each and every day. Yep, sure. Right? Right? There was some type of just wacky day. So I show up, you can probably hear where this is going. I show up <laughs> on the wrong day with the wrong outfit. <laughs> and it was like, I had underwear over my jeans and like I show up and I walk in and mind you, this was my, my freshman year. So I I was fortunate enough able to drive at a certain time to high school, got a hand-me-down car from my mom, but uh, I was being dropped off. So you can't just go back to your car or go back home. Like I had to stay in this stuff all day, walking in every classroom, trying to explain like, hey guys, I got the dates mixed up. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that is my story uh, for for today. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is incredible. It's like school spirit day. You got underwear yeah. on your head. <laughs> 80s, 80s band. 80s day, oh. day yeah. Oh, no. Good it's time. terrible. Everybody else wearing neon. You're wearing, uh, yeah. 
I love that. You know, you talk about losing things and I recently had an embarrassing story about that. Unfortunately, only one other per- person witnessed, but naturally I'll now share it to the world. Uh, but uh, the other day, whenever I wear, uh, whenever I wear uh, joggers or whatnot, I find that every time I get in the car, my phone falls out of the pocket. <laughs> and every time, every like just make it just a little deeper, Nike, yeah. just a little deeper, which actually brings me up to our next sponsor, Nike. Uh, wear Nike. Anyway, um, <laughs> You should probably do it. That's the slogan, right? Anyway, uh, so but the so so I got I got in the car the other day. My phone fell, but I was in a rush, and so I just like needed to go. And it, and it also it didn't just fall into the crack next to me. It like slid back behind the front seat, and I was like, I gotta go. And so I I, I went and. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, so I did that. So I, I, was, I, re- I remember I grabbed it and then we were good. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then I got home after I went grocery shopping and, and I, I you know, sometimes you put some stuff on, on, on the roof of the car or whatever. And, uh, and so then I was like, oh shit, the phone fell out of my pocket again. I was like, again with this, I was just trying me. I got to get, I got to get something with zippers, right? Or I'm bringing cargo shorts back here. I don't care. Um, but and so <laughs> I will be that white man, um, but, but still the, uh, but I remember being so frustrated. I was like, I have no idea where my phone is though. And I, I moved the seat all the way up I moved the seat all the way back. I'm over here. I'm, I'm, I'm lifting up. I don't even know how it would have gotten under the snap in place, rubber floor mats, but I'm lifting those up anyway and uh i'm, I'm telling the finally i go inside and i'm like i can't find my damn phone i was like i know i had it i know i had it because i texted you at the grocery store talking to my wife and she's like yeah that's so crazy did you leave it at the store i was like no i don't i didn't leave it at the store uh, i remember because the bluetooth was working and so she's like well i don't understand where it is i'm driving around I was like maybe a car like quick swoop by and stole it i was like yeah, yeah. i'm just coming up with all these ridiculous things like, i did i did see a squirrel who looked at me with a hairy eyeball and so <laughs> Anyway, so my, my wife starts calling the phone. I'm sitting in the car. I can hear it vibrating. I was like, this is this is crazy. This is like, uh, um, what, what I can't remember the story right now. It's like the Bells uh, by Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Or the Telltale Heart, that's it. Uh, the Telltale Heart, right? And so and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know where it is. And then my, I, was like, I was like, Tina, you got to come out and help me. And she came up to the car. She's like, is this it right here on the roof? And I was like, I'm so mad at myself right now. This is right there mocking me. Back to the state on the roof. Disrespectful. It's disrespectful. Oh so anyway, that was my latest story about that you reminded me of. <clears throat> Brian, thanks for letting me play with you in that segment, man. Oh, let's 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 jump back in. So you started in Vision Health. That was that was cruising for a while, and then you realized that uh, life coaching was something that you wanted to do. So where, where was that switch? Like, how did you switch from kind of this, uh, this holistic yeah. approach, preventative prevention, uh, into getting into coaching? Yeah. Yeah. Everything in our life happens, happens on purpose and for a purpose, I believe now, but I didn't realize that at an early age, um, all of us want to fill four buckets, health, wealth, love, and happiness, right? Mm-hmm. Love was one of those buckets. If you were listening, I'd moved down to Dallas, Texas with a woman, Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Seven years in a relationship, college sweetheart, went to Spelman, all that kind of stuff. We were, quote unquote, this perfect couple. Um, I remember that because I was making these decisions and trying to include her in these decisions of transitioning out of pharmacy, um, subconsciously, 
she wasn't with that. Mm. For my women out there, um, you probably know that for some, you want happiness for your man in your life or your significant other, but ultimately some women want security and, and have their own relationships with certain men or whoever they're with at a certain point in life. She wasn't with it, but I never knew that, right? Um, so in Dallas for about a year, decide to pivot out of pharmacy, go full-time my health coaching practice, fast forward. And my clients start asking me different questions. They're like, Brian, like it's, it's not the health anymore. It's really like, I feel more energized. I feel more confident. I feel like I can step up in my interview better, all these different types of things. I'm like, okay, let me, let me look into this. I didn't know what it was. Um, but during that time, I, I decided to propose. Mm-hmm. I proposed, um, and this was about seven and a half years into relationship. And we were engaged for about four months or so. This day, like to the T, I was out working on my business. You know, I tried to leave the day, you know, because she started working from home more. I said, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go work at a coffee shop, come back home. And uh, I was texting her and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to the grocery store real quick. And she wasn't responding. Mind you, we didn't have any strife. We didn't have any arguments, nothing. I come home, open the door and we had a little multi poo puppy. And the, the dog usually, you know, starts barking. I didn't hear anything. I walk in the door. Everything is gone. What? Couch, <laughs> bed, everything. Mind you, I only had you know, a few pieces because I was moving down with her. She'd already been down in Dallas. Yeah. So we ended up getting a spot together, really nice spot. We were going to start building this kind of family, right? So just like James said, like I was completely, like it was this, it was this traumatizing silent moment. Like I didn't cry. I didn't move. I, I just had all these thoughts in my head. Like, what did I do? What, like, I don't know what to do now. Like people are leaving me. Like I, I'm just, and mind you, like I grew up with both parents in the household, trying to treat women as, as best as possible, love on everything, fix everything, you know, trying to provide, but just wasn't enough. Right. I didn't fit within our plans. So to answer your question, James, that was a pivotal moment that I knew that everything that I was practicing and preaching, meaning what the clients were asking for, I had to start doing for myself. So I said, what question can I ask myself now? What, what can I begin doing to rehabilitate and heal and still serve? Um, so I began going on this personal development, deep dive journey, really intense for about two months. Mind you, this was around Christmas time, yeah. right? So about a month going into Christmas leading into a whole new year. So that's when the, the shift and the pivot happened. And that's when, you know, the whole new business model came, the life coaching announcement came and I told everyone, hey, I'm, I'm shifting over into life coaching and then kind of business aspect came later down the road as you know, people can ask me how I, how I did, uh, you know, transition out of pharmacy and did all these things. Whoa. <laughs> that's a lot for people. My guy. Wow. Uh, what a moment. What a story, right? Like, you I mean, <laughs> first off, that sucks. <laughs> 
And yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I gotta ask. I gotta ask the question that everybody else is wondering. Did did you reach out? Did you ever communicate Ooh. again, or was it just like like poof of smoke, like poof, and just like gone? Like yeah. what happened? Did, did did she call and apologize? Like like what happened? <laughs> what the, what the, <laughs> and, uh, mind you this was a month before our lease was up. So, you know, I'm thinking we're just going to roll this thing over. Mm. Uh, so I did not see her. I contacted her obviously. And I said, Hey, you know what, what is this? What's going on? Like I, and all she says back is, you know, Hey, you know, we can talk about this later, but I know our lease ends up. We can meet then. I'm like, okay. So I'm wait. I'm in an empty place for 15 to 20 days until we meet and close the lease. Mind you, I don't know necessarily where she is. I have an idea, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. So the only time I saw her up until this day, this was almost four years ago now, three and a half years ago. Only time I saw her last was when we were in the leasing um, center and we're closing out the lease. That was the last thing. No closure, no talking. No answers, just this isn't working. Like, what did I do? It's not working. Okay. So seven and a half years. Seven and a half working. years. You you get it's not working. It's and not working. And I had go to go get with, yourself an air mattress. <laughs> yep, go get yourself an air mattress, figure it out. Mind you, I'm a full-time entrepreneur at this point. So, you know, I was doing okay for myself, but as we know in, in the first years of business, there's a lot of fluctuation in ebbs and flows. And getting new places on your own, things of that sort. Like it's, it's difficult. So I didn't know if I wanted to be in Dallas anymore. Um, so I hit up my friend here in Dallas that I'd met at a speaking event. We were on a panel together and I said, Hey man, um, you know, I've already talked to my brother. Uh, hadn't even talked to really my parents as, as of yet. And I said, Hey, you know, this has happened. Um, you know, what do I do? He's like, hey, yeah. I, 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 he said, Come stay with me. Come stay with me. Mm -hmm. And to this point, if anyone, you know, is familiar and maybe listening on this podcast, you see on my stories on my IG that I walk with one person every single Wednesday. It's called our wisdom walks. His name is Arkman. Up until this day, one of the closest friends, and we've only known each other for the last four and a half, five years. And I'll never forget that was the big, biggest six months of growth staying with him of my life because I began seeing, wow, I haven't been alone with myself in seven years. Yeah. Right. So that's where the growth journey happened. And just the exponential growth also in my business and my relationships and just this like epiphany moment of life. Like, wow, like what have I been missing? Yeah. <laughs> you right. know? yeah. So, yeah. You know, some people travel to India and Bali and uh, Thailand to have a, to have that kind of moment. And you just went to your boy Artman's spot. Uh, so that's, that, you know, sometimes you know, people put a lot of money into it. Sometimes you just need to go crash at a friend's, uh, exactly. but no, but <laughs> seriously, brother, I make I make light of what was definitely a, mm -hmm. a tumultuous time in your life. That yeah. incredible. And, and shout out, shout out to this dude. For, yeah. for being there and being a real one. And also, I think we need to use cancel culture to our advantage. So do me a favor, say her name, tell us where she lives and <laughs> tell us where she works. And let's just let the internet out. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> uh, I That is, uh, yeah, powerful is the, is the only word that I can think of right now, man. And, and so that was the, also the moment where you started to make this big transition into coaching. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. 
what is it about coaching that drew you to it? What is it that got you really excited What or still gets you excited about it? Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm able to not handhold per se or tell, but I've always been a person that has been a supporter of people. Mm-hmm. And I've been a um, a listening ear for a lot of people in my life. And I never knew what that was. Like, Brian, you're a great listener. Hey, can we chat? Hey, can you, you know, you got some time this evening for me to just call you. And I never knew what that was until now I'm in this position where I can really share um, my story, be vulnerable for my healing process to show other people how they're not the only ones that are struggling in, you know, their careers and their relationships. And sometimes it's really not your fault, but you can control the the response um, to that. So that's what gets me lit up every single day. And I'm able to, you know, guide people along that process, uh, throw powerful questions out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, as James is a great question asker, he knows the power of questions and everyone has everything within them already. So that's what I love about coaching is because, it's, it's different if people are not familiar with consulting, mentorship, advising, like coaching is a whole different realm. And even speaking sometimes, sometimes like it, it's just different. So I love the art of coaching and, and the whole industry now, as I've been just a student of the game for the last going on six years now. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's awesome. I yeah, think it, it is, it's such an honor for these individuals to, to put trust in you. Mm-hmm. To put trust in you to fuel their trust in themselves, mm-hmm. right? because that's often I find with coaching, right? As as a coach, it's it's our job to ask really cool questions and then sit back, right? Yep. Coaches are often almost like the bumpers in bumper bowling, where we make sure stuff doesn't get off the rails. Um, <laughs> we kind of just like nudge you back with a question, right? You said you wanted to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, so like, let's nudge you, Let me nudge you towards it a little bit. Right. We don't want you to, we don't want people to fail. We don't want people to give up. We don't want people to whatever it is. And so sometimes with those bumpers uh, where we kind of nudge people back and, and so that they, they can achieve the success that their vision is telling them they want to, to, uh, to achieve. And mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And we're also accountability buddies and things like that. And so but here's the other thing though, brother, is that I often find that people teach what they need to hear. And so for you as a coach, are there things that you find yourself teaching, asking questions around, nudging um, that you yourself also need to hear? See my previous pharmacist analogy. That's called a callback, Brian. Anyway, um, but uh, <laughs> but still, like, is I'm curious for you as a coach, uh, what are those moments where you're encouraging someone to think a certain way, do a certain thing, um, or, or you're asking questions around that to get them to mm-hmm. broaden their scope? Is there is this resonating with you? And is there something that yeah. you often find that you yourself need to hold the mirror up? Everyone's yeah, doing? yeah. Um, if you're familiar with David Goggins' book or David Goggins in general and his crazy running uh, shenanigans, <laughs> um, you know, he he talks about the accountability mirror. And we all know that it's it's very difficult to look ourselves in the mirror a lot of times and really tell ourselves the things that we uh, are not doing. Uh, we can all tell positive affirmations, all those things, but I've become very comfortable in saying, Brian, no, you you didn't wake up early enough. No, you didn't get this done. Like, you messed up. And a lot of times when I'm questioning my clients or just talking to someone in general, because I always believe like ABC method, we're always coaching, always be coaching. 
Um, now, if someone decides, hey, we will go into a deeper relationships and uh, the investment happens, then I'm typically trying to always uh, allow myself to be humble enough to know that I can learn from this person too. So sometimes it's intertwined, meaning I'll, if I'm coaching James and James is dealing with um, maybe productivity in some way, and I say, Brian, you're, you haven't been productive. A lot of times I'll pose a question to James to tell me how you're going to be productive this week. And he says, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm like, man, I didn't do that. that, that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. to answer your question, James, like that's, that's a tactic that a lot of times, yes, I, I always hold myself to the fire, especially when I show up. It's like, you can be better too. So questions you pose, make sure you're practicing what you're preaching. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That leads me to uh, our next segment, uh, which for the next hour of the podcast, I get a free coaching session from you because I brought you on. And so everybody just feel free to sit tight and listen. This is how you get free therapy. No, No, I love that. I love that, man. And and I certainly feel that for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know, I often, I teach authenticity. I teach vulnerability. And, and, and I also, within my, within my coaching processes, you know, it's, it's a lot of what are the walls that you're needlessly building, right? How have you convinced yourself that you can't just do X, but you need to do A, B, and C before you do X. Why can't you just do X? Um, Right. And the the walls, the, the barriers that we build that nobody else sees the reason why we would need to build them. And, uh, and so those are certainly things that I do. Like right now, you know, I have a, I have a goal of a book that I want to write and I also want to do some more news media outlets. And I'm like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta do this before I do that. And I'm like, no, you don't have to, you could just do the thing now. But, but we sometimes try to protect ourselves from the, from the hard thing by telling ourselves we got to do some of these other little things first. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's where I oftentimes have to learn what I'm teaching. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's beautiful. So, so for you, man, when it comes to your coaching, like what kind of individuals do you enjoy coaching? Who comes in and sees you or, or, or what, what, what is there? Is there a through line between a lot of your clients? Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming a little bit more clear now. Um, before it was a little rocky, I was kind of testing the waters and we all hear about these niches and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm very multifaceted. I always wanted to help everybody, but what I've learned is, it's not necessarily a certain type of job title per se. It's a certain type of individual that's very, very conscious or aware, or even some people that have this underlying subconscious want to be better, or they have this curiosity, right? They're, they're very open. Um, now, of course, like if we're going to work together, I need to know that you, you can invest in some type of way. So it does come with a certain type of stature, but there's all different types of men and women. I do find myself working with um, a higher percentage of women. And I think that's something to really be conscious of for my men out there. It's like, why aren't we seeking support sometimes? Um, but it's always this woman or person that is very, very aware that something's missing. Um, and that's that's what ignites me. It's like, oh, wow, we're going to go along this journey and figure out what that thing is, whether it's a business, whether it's you know, career, whether it's just worthiness or uh, purpose, whatever that might be. So that's the type of person that typically comes and said, I have a question in my head. I don't know what it is, but there's something missing because that was me. 
that was me. And now I get to guide people along that to really discover and ask questions around things that they might be missing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, that, that, that conscious someone, someone who feels like something is missing and is aware of it. I also love that you called men out, right? Men are, yeah. oh, we're, we're a fascinating bunch. Uh, men have sure. somehow convinced ourselves that we're going to earn extra credit if we do it alone, right? Yep. Like that someone's going to give us points at the end. We're going to get put in sexier dirt or in a more, <laughs> in a more bedazzled urn at the end yeah. of it, right? Like <laughs> that's, that turns out that's not the way it works. Um, we are, we are a communal species and, and we are allowed to use each other, yeah. uh, but, uh, but, but pride, pride is a fascinating beast and validation is a dangerous drug. And mm. so, uh, so I think for men, uh, men, sometimes it's, it's a complex scenario. I, I know I feel it for sure. Um, yeah. I, my counselor, my counselor just called me out on it this week because, you know, I I've struggled with my, with my weight and I have a fairly low self-esteem around my physical appearance and yeah. some that I've struggled with since middle school. And, yeah. you know, I've ebbed and flowed. I've tried various diets and my, my weight is, has fluctuated a bit, but what hasn't fluctuated is the shame mm-hmm. around it all. And, uh, and so I recently was, I left the last week on my counseling call. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking I may, it may be time for me to like call a nutritionist in or, or call a, uh, yeah or call, you know, maybe, maybe get a, a personal trainer or something like that. Someone who can hold me accountable when I'm, cause I just, I'm clearly not doing it myself and mm. I wish I could. And it drives me nuts that I can't do it. And I have this dark shame spot around it. And, and but I was like, but I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that though. I don't know if this is the time and whatnot. And she literally said to me, she said, James, she said, why? She's like, it sounds, it sounds okay to me. And she's like, why are you afraid of asking for help? And I was like, first off, Sarah, you're fired. Okay? You're 100% fired. Okay. But like, Don't I, ask me those questions. I teach people to yeah. ask for help, right? What's one lie that you tell yourself every single day? Most people tell themselves the lie of, I don't need to ask for help. I can handle it. Mm. And here I am getting called out for not asking for help because like, I feel like I should be able to handle it. You got yourself into this mess, brother. You got to dig yourself out of the shame hole. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, what a fascinating moment for me and my fascinating, I mean, devastatingly honest and brutal, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I love that. I, I love that. I was about to ask you like, how is, how do you coach someone? I'm interested. Like, how do you coach someone if we have time? Like, how do you coach somebody through shame and vulnerability when you're admitting of that, but it's also like I'm telling someone like the pharmacist analogy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, for me, what it is is trying to rewrite the stories that people tell themselves. Hmm. Right. And so it's, it's let's, let's admit some of these, let's admit some of these stories that you tell yourself. And, and like what are, a lot of times it comes back to the word should, right? We're all out here shouldn't on ourselves. You should do this and I should mm. do that. And I should be that and look at them. So I should also, and, and they're doing this. So that means I should, or they have this online. So I should. And, uh, and a lot of it's trying to rewire that vocabulary. Mm. And, and that's been a big thing that I've tried to work on too. I know uh, last year, last year, I made a conscious goal of, of making sure that I say the word should less. 
And, mm. and so that, that was, that was a big goal for mine is I want to try to eliminate the word should from my vocabulary, right? Cause, cause okay. should, should equal shame. And, and so, so that's kind of what I, I try to do is try to rewrite the way that people talk about it and, and get them to see that you don't have to have every goal, right? Like let's, let's pick a couple goals that's and good. let's work towards those. And so that, that's kind of what I'm typically working on. Yeah, that's good. With folks. So, yeah, brother, I appreciate you, man. Last question. Last question I have for you is that, uh, you know, we're both in, in relationships now. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, Dr. Brian has, is now in a happy relationship, y'all. Okay. It didn't just end that way. He's not still staying on his boy's couch. Um, but, uh, <laughs> It's like you left us on cliffhangers. He's still like out in these streets. <laughs> no, yeah, he good. He good. He good. At least social media tells me that. But yeah. uh, but still, uh, you know, you talked about coaching, um, and I'm wondering if you're like me. Do you ever get called out by your partner for switching into coaching mode <laughs> with your partner? <laughs> oh, funny enough, uh, hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened okay. yet. I would say that, but. Uh, uh, she is also a, a coach in her own right, and she's in the personal development realm. And I know, James, you have a, a wife that's a speaker, so it's <laughs> it's, it's interesting. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that no, no, no. Okay. That's, good. that's good. Yeah, definitely hasn't happened to me either then. Definitely <clears throat> hasn't happened. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Brian, uh, it has been an honor talking to you, man. I'm just, I'm so glad that this random ass new social media app brought us together. Shout out to Clubhouse. Yeah. I'm also glad that we didn't spend the majority of the conversation talking about Clubhouse. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that it brought us together, man. It is, uh, it became, it, it became worth it when I met you. Um, and I know that's cheesy, but I love cheese, so I don't care. Uh, and I'm just, I'm excited that we are connected, brother. And can't thank you enough for sliding into the diner booth and hanging out with me today. Man, this has been awesome. I appreciate you so much, James. And uh, looking forward to the future friendship to come and, and see what else we can discover about each other. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I love that. Uh, I love that. Make sure you all check him out. Uh, BrianMcKeldery.com is how you can learn it. Dr. McKeldery uh, on uh, on Instagram. And, uh, and I can't thank you enough one more time, my guy. I appreciate you. All right, y'all. That's this episode of Diner Talks with James with Dr. Brian McKeldery, my man. We got into some cool conversations. That was a special one, y'all. I can't thank you enough for being here and wanting to hang out with the diner with me. I hope you got enough chocolate milkshake to make it through the time. But, my friends, until our next opportunity to hang out, which will be next week when the next episode comes out. Until next time, my friends, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care and be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you could do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. 
And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.